What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. So on today's podcast, I'm going to carry on with this new format that I'm trying and uh, so far haven't received any complaints yet. So do give me some feedback. I am genuinely interested to know what you think of the different formats that I'm testing out. Uh, as you know, we've got this new schedule and we're going out now on Tuesdays. I explained last week the various reasons behind that. And uh, so today is going to be very, very similar. And I'm going to be covering the news that I believe has the potential to impact the market. In the last couple of weeks, I've just been watching the way the news is going, the direction it's heading. Like I've been talking about it and I've been, you know, I suppose even predicting a bit of a downturn since last year when I was talking about inflation and China and all of these different things. So it does seem like we are heading towards, it's certainly everyone I hear is talking about now, if not recession, certainly kind of a slowdown in the economy. And um, it's just interesting to kind of keep an eye on this thing, because I do think it, as it, play, as it kind of plays out, you'll start to see the market kind of reacting. And there'll probably be some people that will start to panic. And that is when potentially opportunities come up to kind of start buying things at a better price. It has been pretty pricey to date. And some of the headlines I'm going to be going through today are going to be pretty, uh, you know, insightful. And um, the kind of drops that some of these economists are predicting is kind of interesting. So I'll be getting into that shortly. Um, as I mentioned before, we have this new uh, timetable. It's, the podcast is now going out uh, on Tuesdays at 6 a.m., and that is the Dublin or UK Irish time zone. Now, the focus of the podcast has not changed at all. Still the whole, you know, looking at mindset, behavior, all of that stuff. I'm just trying to keep it fresh. And I don't know whether you guys, I mean, we had the whole intro where I, you know, sort of said the usual things. I had that for two years. And I think at this stage, you kind of know what the intro is all about. Um, I'm going to be interviewing a guest next week, and so um, it's going to be going back to the guest episode every now and then. But this week, there's just so much news, I thought it best to just stay on the format that we've started to test. Right, before I get into that, just want to also mention, I have two live events coming up, and I'm going to announce them right now. First of all, apologies for anyone who was listening in last week. I had said last week that I was going to do a a live stream over on YouTube. And in the end, I had a very disruptive day. Uh, the computer was actually getting replaced, the hard drive, uh, on the day that the podcast was supposed to be going out. And so I got that kind of a little bit mixed up. And um, so apologies, but it is happening this week. I've actually booked the live slot into the YouTube um, channel, into my YouTube channel. And I'm also doing the very same in TikTok. So there's actually going to be, it's going to be going out on both platforms simultaneously. And if you're listening in on this, you can obviously sort of tune in. And if you have any questions or anything like that, I'll be happy to answer any questions that you have on real estate investment, the market, whatever it is that you're asking. Um, I'm kind of open to all of that. So that's going to be my live stream. And that, just to give you the timetable, that is one o'clock Wednesday. And I'm actually planning on doing that every single Wednesday from now on. Just a lunch and learn, as I call it, and uh, pop in, ask a couple of questions, see what's going on. And, uh, and then if you miss it, you'll obviously get to see it later on on the YouTube channel. The YouTube channel, again, Gavin J. Gallagher on real estate. And that is, uh, it's in YouTube there. You'll find it. There's tons of stuff there. 
The other live event that I want to mention is the boot camp that I'm actually hosting. Now, I mentioned it last week, but just to let you know again, I'm doing a three hour boot camp for anyone interested in starting out in property. This is for novice investors. This is not for people who have already got some experience. I'm going to be covering six modules on the investment process, how to actually get into it. And it'll help you go from basically a person with no clue what to do or why you would even invest in property to feeling like you're at least ready to go out and start the process or go and buy. Now, that is going to be this Saturday and I'm recording this on the, uh, the the Monday, the 3rd of October. So this Saturday is going to be the 8th of October. So if you're watching this or listening in on the replay or whatever, uh, this might be out of date, this information. The 8th of October is Saturday. The, it starts at 10 and it's going to run for three hours. The cost is 180. If I made it completely free, there could be like a thousand people showing up. There's only so much space in the room. So please, two, uh, 180 euro for three hours with me answering your questions and going through six modules. And uh, you'll find details in the show notes or the, uh, the uh, video description below. All right, let's get into the real estate news this week. So the first bit of news is, and it was kind of predictable, but the, the new chancellor of the Exchequer in the UK, who last week did this, you know, basically dropped a clangor and um, mentioned that or, or announced that they were dropping the top rate of tax. And what that did was create the uh, massive fall in the value of the pound. And the, uh, the the Bank of England had to step in and increase rate and like buy up a load of currency. And it basically tr- created total chaos and turmoil in the UK market. And the the price of the, uh, the pound against the dollar fell by a huge amount, like six or seven percent in one night. Now, normally, you know, six or seven basis points, like 0.6 of a percent or 0.06% would be kind of the norm, but to go 6% was massive and it had massive implications for the economy and stuff. So it was announced today that Quasi Quarteng is dropping that whole 45 uh, degree or 45% top rate. And uh, it's a big U-turn. Now, a lot of people predicting that this could result in the downfall of the Tory government. And like whether you're... It doesn't matter where you're listening in from, uh, what country you're in or whatever. If there's a change of government, that always introduces an element of uncertainty to the market, to, well, certainly to the local market, to the local property market uh, or real estate market in particular, because you might have somebody who comes in who has a negative stance on real estate investment and stuff. So they decide to tax people higher or they come in and say, we've got to get inflation down. We've got to get people paying a, you know, lower costs uh, of living and stuff like that. And so they don't care if landlords get hit with massive increases in, um, in their uh, mortgage payments and stuff like that. So this has an element of uh, concern in it because of the fact that it, it could just create a change. No matter which way these guys are going to play it, there was a mess now because either they stood by their guns and they were under massive pressure with the pound kind of fluctuating or they decide now what they've done to to reverse their position and now it makes them look weak and it makes the opposition party kind of going after them and so it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out but what it has done is created all these 
other announcements that have been made, economists predicting that the market now is going to go into a recession and all sorts of stuff. As I'm going through this, uh, my slides that I've prepared, I see that the property trust called LXI, and it's a REIT, and it was actually in talks with Sainsbury to buy all of their stores across the UK, and it was a £500 million um, deal. So that was a significant deal, and it has actually announced today that it has fallen through. And so that uh, they're, they're blaming it on the jitters in the stock market, stuff like that, but I think it's possibly more to it. I think that they are predicting a fall in prices uh, due to the, the economy the way it is and stuff like that. Now, there's also, I always have a look at the Financial Times. The Financial Times has a great section uh, called the property sector. And in that, they have a number of um, headlines. Now, it's unless you're a subscriber to the Financial Times, you can't actually go into the article itself. But they're saying as of today that China has... Uh, a lot of the property shares in China have gone on a bit of a rally. And that is because the Chinese government has suddenly decided that it needs to reverse its position. And that is because it's three red lines. Now, I talked about this in a previous podcast, I think last year, and it was the Evergrande podcast that I did. And I talked about how they introduced these three red lines. The idea was to try to eliminate the over leverage that was being used by all of these property companies. So they did that. They had good reason to do it, maybe to take a little bit of the of the bubble that was blowing up over in China, take the kind of air out of it slowly, or that is what they hoped to do. But what they've done is create like this mad chaos all over the Chinese market. And I actually think they possibly have acted too late. And of course, the Chinese communist government does not like to be seen to be influenced and it likes to kind of set the agenda and that's it. They are realizing now, I think, that their economy is on the verge of collapse due to the property markets, uh, the turmoil in the property markets. And so it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Have they acted too late? Certainly there's been a, a bounce back, which is a good thing. But I think a lot of people have been burned. And when I say a lot in China, you know, you're talking hundreds of millions of people have been burned. And I can't imagine that they'll just sort of say, oh, everything's fine and they'll bounce back. I think this is going to take some time. Uh, there's also a headline um, out from the 1st of October and it's on how buy-to-let landlords are now under strain from mortgage rate rises. And this is the kind of common theme in a lot of the news at the moment. They're talking about this. In the Times today, they're reporting that the average UK property costs seven times the typical wage. Now that is um, following the pandemic property boom. Now it was kind of predictable, but of course nobody likes to sort of say this afterwards. But the reality is, is whenever you see any kind of a massive boom in prices, what goes up very quickly usually comes down very, very quickly. If it goes up slowly over time, that is usually a sign of a more stability. Um, when something shoots up now, you had the pandemic, we had, were all locked down for a year or more. And then when finally we came out, we had saved up all this money, interest rates were at zero or thereabouts. And everybody was, there was all this fiscal stimulation trying to kind of keep the economy going. And so everyone thought they were in a party or in a rave, economic rave, they were all buying and buying and buying. It has created this sort of bubble basically. And now we're starting to see the air going out of that bubble. And the wor the one thing that really can cause a burst in a bubble is when 
prices change rapidly to the and then all of a sudden funding changes or the cost of funding so the fact that they're now looking at interest rates increasing significantly everybody who bought property usually people don't buy properties they can afford they buy properties that they can barely afford they can just about make the payments that they're able to afford and as soon as you have an increase in rates what you're going to see is suddenly people caught offside and they're going to be like "Uh oh we got to go and sell the property and you're going to have a flood of properties coming on the market all at the same time and the problem is is that so many people participated in this that there's a good chance that there won't be people there to buy up the sale the, the properties that are going on the market for sale now if you've been building your portfolio sensibly over the last couple of years and you have a decent cash flow cushion you should be okay but there will be people out there who panic and I have a couple of tips at the end of the video on mindset stuff and how to react in a crisis that I'll just go through with you and hopefully you'll find it of use. They had an interesting thing here, uh, like, like a chart in the newspaper in this particular article and it was talking about more uh, regional variations and it has mortgage payments as a percentage of take-home pay by region from July to September of this year and it said that London makes up 64% of your take-home pay is mortgage payments. 64%. Like, I don't know how people can afford that. And then they have uh, outer metropolitan 56, and it falls down. You see that the average UK is 40%. So London is like 50% higher than the average. And then as you go down towards Scotland and the north, you're down to 25%. So it's obviously very affordable to live in the north or in Scotland and Northern Ireland funny enough they have it here at 30% so some interesting stats they also had a couple of graphs and they had price to earning ratio uh, in the UK for all buyers and for first-time buyers and it's quite interesting this data goes back to 1985 and they have the price earnings ratio so the lowest that I can see was back in the mid 90s when it was about three 3% of uh, or three times your earnings uh, was the average mortgage um, and now it's seven times your earnings so um, that's interesting oh that's sorry not earnings but the price to uh, the price to your earnings ratio and so people were able to buy a house that was usually three times the value of their annual income now it's seven times the price of their annual income now that is up on even in 2007 just before the crash it was six and a half times now we're above that for uk so that does point towards definitely uh, a fall and some pain because it went from six and a half in 2007 to five and so if you go for a similar kind of a fall you're looking at going from seven to five maybe so that is going to be significant drop in um in the price of property in the UK. Affordability is another one. They have mortgage payments as a percentage of take-home pay in the UK. Now this one is not as bad What's what's because the mortgage payments are lower at the moment. If you go back to the 1980s, it, it was up to 60%. Currently it's at 40% as an average. So um, it's, it's the headline that I mentioned earlier that 40% is the average. Just while we're on this international news, I was looking at the uh, the New York Times, and um, the New York Times actually has an article on 
a J Japanese trend, and that is this people living in 95 square foot apartments. These are apartments that are absolutely tiny, but what they have is a 12 foot or a four meter high ceiling so that you basically live on nearly two floors and they put this kind of mezzanine floor in. And uh, I mean, anyway, there's photos and stuff like that. If you're watching the video on, on YouTube, you will see these uh, photographs in the video. And it's just interesting. What I, what I, the reason I picked it up on this is that with densities and all of this kind of stuff that we're talking about these days, you have to wonder whether we're heading towards that. Certainly here in uh, the Irish market, we are looking at, uh, like we just cannot build enough apartments and stuff. And yet the planners have these very restrictive rules around how you design a house and, and how you design an apartment it makes it quite costly and it's no wonder that it's hard for people to kind of get an apartment that they can afford so it's kind of that it's a difficult balance to you know, want quality of life but if quality of life costs more than you can afford then you just can't have it and so maybe people would prefer to have something that is small and practical i mean these look like reasonably good quality apartments it's and nicely finished it's just that they're absolutely tiny anyway let's get into the irish real estate news and in particular i want to talk about um, a couple of headlines that are coming in on the irish times commercial section and that is talking about sales that are you know properties that are put up on the market for sale this week and one in particular that stands out is the stella cinema in rath mines and that is, um, well, the headline goes, a trophy asset like no other. Now, of course, people will always give you their best line whenever they're putting up for something for sale. But what really struck me is the fact that this is Paddy McKillen and Matt Ryan from Oakmont selling this property. Now, they've done a nice job refurbishing it and doing all that kind of stuff. But these are two of the most sort of active property investors in the market in the last 10 years like since the re last recession they have bought up huge huge property portfolio and they've done hotels they've done bars restaurants they're the kind of the trendy place and the fact that they're selling this asset does stand out as you wonder whether these are people who recognize that top of the market if not if it hasn't already passed and it's time now to start kind of putting some assets behind you and they're saying 9.5 million for the cinema. Um, it does seem quite pricey to me, but I don't really know. Another asset that is up for sale, uh, it's a landmark Georgian building on Stevens Green. I've actually been in this building. It's the former Hibernian uh, Services Club building, and it's, it's, a, it's a pretty spectacular building. This was once somebody's home back in the 1700s or whatever but they're looking for 20 million for this property. And it would make for a, an interesting headquarters. But what stands out for me with these properties is that now as we're heading into a, the costly, you know, the cost of energy and heating and all that, and we're moving towards this sustainable future, and there's an awful lot of a focus on ESG and stuff. I think a building like that is going to be extraordinarily difficult to repurpose. It's going to be, you know, it's always going to be a heritage building, but you're never going to be able to get the efficiencies out of it without spending an absolute fortune on the heating and all that. And then you run into the difficulties with heritage uh, and all this kind of architectural heritage protection. So I know from owning a heritage property in the past that 
you need to apply for planning permission, even just to paint some rooms uh, that have like historic significance and stuff. So if you're going in there and you're saying, okay, let's go and replace all the windows with, you know, PVC, <laughs> that's not going to happen. Let's go and put, you know, uh, lots of foam in the uh, in the attic. Maybe you're not going to be allowed to do that as well. So it is going to be difficult to turn this property into anything other than maybe some sort of a museum or something. Um, it'll be interesting to see what gets done with that. And then one article that really stands out is IKEA is about to invest 100 million euro building 250 social homes in Dublin. And what they're going to be doing is transferring the ownership to the local authority and it's going to be at zero cost. And this is really interesting. Um, you'd wonder what they're, what they're doing, but they have got quite a lot of land out around their, uh, their warehouse. And so I guess this is some sort of uh, way for them to monetize that, but also to kind of do something for the local community. And uh, so 250 social houses in that area, in the greater Dublin area, is interesting. And um, the fact that they're transferring it at zero cost, so that there's no profit in it for them. Finally, well, not finally, I've actually got another article to read after this, but there is an interesting mention on how iconic. Now, anyone who's interested in co-working and all of that stuff, you've got WeWork and you've got, you know, these different brands. The Irish version of it is iconic. And iconic have become quite a heavy hitter in the, uh, in the Irish market, certainly. They're quite expansive and they've opened up in Dublin. They finally actually decided to open their first office in Cork. So it's interesting to see them expanding. And I certainly think that the, the co-working um, does seem to be working now, um, despite the kind of difficulties it had during the pandemic. It has actually bounced back very quickly as a result of the pandemic. Um, the other thing that we have here is we have commercial property in the, the Sunday Business Post, and they're talking about how rising interest rates are starting to put pressure on investor investment demand for these apartment schemes. So what we've had over the last couple of years has been what you call P or S, private residential schemes. And that is where developers were building large apartment schemes, maybe 200 apartments or whatever, and there would be um, operators, you know, investment companies that were operators willing to go and buy these properties. And what's actually happening now is that there is a squeeze. And so you've got the construction companies are cost, the costs have gone up significantly. So there's a squeeze on one end. And now on the other end, because interest rates are rising, bond yields in the euro are rising as well. And because that is happening, it is actually making these yields that were initially agreed by a lot of these investors quite on, um, unattractive. So initially you people were, you know, you could buy property, you could buy an apartment building in Berlin or something like that or Frankfurt. And these companies, these these funds, they would be prepared to buy an apartment building in Germany for 1.6% annual yield. So very, very low yield. But they considered it against the backdrop of bond yields in that same market being, you know, close to zero, maybe point, you know, 0.25%. So you had, if you're a fund with hundreds of millions in cash sitting there and you're, and you've got pensioners that you have to kind of look after and all that, what do you have to do? You have to kind of create a return from, from that cash. And if you're only able to get a quarter of a percent from bonds, and then you have a look at the market and you can say, oh, look, we can get 1.6% from apartment buildings in Germany. And those are effectively 
100% occupied all the time because of the various laws and stuff. Now, those same investors were looking outside of the German market and they would see the Irish market at 3.4%, 4%, to buy one of these similar buildings. And they'd be thinking, wow, this looks like fantastic value. We can get double, triple the return that we would on the same size building in the German market. Now, all of a sudden, with rates increasing and bond yields increasing and the outlook to kind of continue going, all of a sudden, these guys are all saying, well, why would we buy this and be, buy it at like 2 and 3% when we can actually buy German bonds at a similar kind of pricing? And it's much easier to sell, to get in and get out of, all that stuff. So all of a sudden, there's a pressure on both ends. And the last thing I'm going to talk about in terms of news is the, the Sunday Business Post. And it's interesting that it's the Irish Sunday Business Post, but they're actually coming out with an article on British house prices. And the British house prices they're talking about is they're saying that British house prices could drop 40%. And uh, a, a chap, an, ex, an expert called Neil Hudson says the outlook is terrifying after last week's mini budget. And it's it, it says that it is accelerating the market towards a severe housing crash. So that'll be interesting for um, investors. Anyone in the UK, obviously, I don't want any harm to come to you guys like if you're a listener and you're sort of looking at this and listening to this obviously you might be a little bit concerned hearing those uh, those kind of uh, comments and what I'm going to do just as part of my mindset piece that I like to do once a week I'm going to just talk to you now about how to behave in a crisis and some of you may have seen my article if you haven't you should check out my blog and you'll find that over at gavinjgallagher.com. And the blog, I actually wrote a full article on this, but I'm going to give you the, the headlines now. And it's how to behave in a crisis or how to sort of survive through a crisis like what we're looking at now. So the first thing is to be aware of the cognitive biases that you have. Now, the problem with cognitive bias is exactly that. It's, it's a cognitive bias that does not actually um, it, it's not clear that you have it this is an automatic sort of go-to that your mind runs to now I've done two episodes on this I think if you go back to episode possibly episode 20 and to episode 40 I think both of those episodes I did a full a full episode on cognitive bias but the two that'll damage you are confirmation bias confirmation bias is a real issue because what people do, and, and this might be retrospectively, I might be talking about this now, and you've already made this mistake, but confirmation bias is where you're looking for information that will confirm a decision that you have already made or that you want to make. And so that will be people who have kind of convinced themselves they need to get into the market, and they'll be kind of like saying, okay, I need to go and find this information that supports this decision that I want to take. Now, there's confirmation bias and there's continuity bias. Continuity bias, I think we're a little bit late for that now. Continuity is where you thought everything was going to continue to be rosy and we're now caught in a trap. Now that works both ways. When you're in a downward spiral and things are looking really bad, there's an oftentimes people think that this will just continue to go badly and continue to go downwards. And that's when you decide to sit in the sidelines and not to do anything 
And meanwhile, there's actually great buying opportunity there. So be careful of continuity bias. And when it comes to confirmation, just check your mind and just ask yourself, am I already, you know, pushing in one direction? Like, is there something that I really want to do? And I'm looking for information to do that. Or am I, am I keeping an open mind? Am I reading the data? And am I looking for the information? And am I waiting to be convinced as opposed to looking for the information you want to hear or you want to see? And it takes a little bit of reflection, honest reflection, as opposed to you kind of thinking, yeah, yeah, this is what I want to do. All right, the next point on how to survive a crisis or how to behave in a crisis is to focus on what you can control. And that is to say that a lot of people during a crisis, they'll start to look at all of these issues that they have no control over whatsoever. So something like the, the budget. I mean, whether the budget is goes in your favor or against you, it's not something that you should, well, it's not something that you should worry about because you have zero control over it. All you can do is control your response to that. And so be wary of what you are concerned about. What are you um, paying attention to? What are you spending your time concerned or, or kind of and, uh, suffering anxiety over, okay? Because if you have, like there's three circles of influence. You have your inner circle, your outer circle, and then the great beyond. The inner circle is this, small area and that is that the area that you have direct control over and that is essentially your mindset and your behavior and what you do during the day and the decisions you make that is your inner circle that's what you should be focused on now the outer circle is the stuff that goes on that you have maybe a little bit of influence over so for example family members uh, children um parents, all of that kind of stuff. You have got control, influence over those people and over those events that kind of influence those people and how they respond to those things. You can influence it. You can't always guarantee that they'll take the advice or that they'll do it, but you can at least have some influence on it. So it's not something that you should completely ignore. You'll obviously do your best to help somebody and or to convince them in a debate or whatever it is. Now, the great beyond, as I call it, that is an area where you have literally zero influence at all. Now, the problem is a huge amount of people pay massive attention to the great beyond. And what I mean by that, for example, is what's going on in Russia and Ukraine at the moment. I mean, it's terrible. It's a humanitarian catastrophe. And I feel dreadful about it. And I do have to you know, admit that I do follow the news occasionally. But I've very consciously decided to actually switch off that news and stop paying attention. Why? Because I have zero influence. Like whether if Putin decides that he wants to drop a nuclear bomb, I mean, it's it's obviously catastrophic for the world and for the people who he drops it on and things like that. But do I have any influence over his decisions whatsoever? Zero. And so why would I spend time worrying about it? Because whether he does it or whether he doesn't do it, it's not going to have any influence. It'll have plenty of influence, obviously, if it happens, but there's no point in spending time worrying about something that you have absolutely zero influence over. And um, 
and just you're going to end up worrying about something that you just you can't do anything about so there's just no point in even knowing about it um the only thing which you want to know is you want to know enough about making decisions uh, in response to news that you hear so for example if there's a new taxation policy or if interest rates look like they're going to go up or whatever it is that will obviously inform decisions that you need to make in the future but don't be worrying about stuff that it has you know kind of implications globally that you have zero influence over and when i say don't worry about it just try not to let it influence your decision making because if you have zero um if you have zero control over it what's the point in being concerned and having all of this anxiety going on the five deadly d's in a crisis this is number three and it's something just to be aware of and we are heading into, I believe, a crisis now, a financial crisis. And what you've got to remember is there are five Ds that people often get caught up in. The first is the drama. Okay, you see all of this news, these headlines, everything like that. And a lot of the time people will look at this and they will, that's the drama. That's the first D. They will, come, they will basically enter into a, a mindset of denial. And a lot of the time people, they've been doing very well for the last couple of years. They've got a nice cash flow and stuff. And they'll be like, I'm sure I'm going to be fine. There's not going to be an issue here. And they'll just decide to keep on going or to ignore the problem. Now, the problem with this is you might have a finite time in order to react to a situation that's happening. And you want to make sure that you do not delay. And that is the third D. What most people do, because they're in denial, delay sets in and you don't do anything when you could be doing something and eventually you come around and you start to realize this is actually impacting me and that is when you start to deliberate on what you're going to do next again leading to more delay but this deliberation phase that is something that you should be doing much much earlier and ultimately reaching a decision is number five and that is where people often too late they come up with the decision and they decide okay i'm going to go and sell something or i'm going to go and cut this at a loss or i'm going to refinance it or bring in a partner whatever it is try to make that decision sooner in a crisis because the delay could cost you and uh, just beware and of course number six and number seven are if you do make these decisions delayed and everything like that you're going to have damage will be the uh, the result of that um, anyway let's get on to the fourth one the fourth one is and it's kind of looking back i suppose so in a sense nobody needs to hear this now but just do not have all of your eggs in the one basket and that is it's you know it's like the old wives tale or whatever the old statement um, but concentration versus diversification in a rising market concentration is fantastic if you've got 100 percent of your money in one asset class and it happens to be ripping and going on a, an absolute tear it's fantastic i went through that i had 100 percent of my assets tied up in property and it was doing 25 percent a year so my assets were jumping by just extraordinary amounts jumping in and, and also i was highly leveraged as well now that's great if you were diversified during that ride it would not have been anything like the results what i would have had was i would have had a small percentage of my property would have gone up 25 percent but the other stuff that the other assets i had spread around may not have enjoyed the same kind of a rip and so it is going to be less volatile but also 
it means that you're not going to see the same kind of increases. Now, obviously, if you diversify, which is the smart thing to do, and if you're in a falling market, diversification is far better because at least your assets stand a better chance if you have the different assets that kind of react differently to the news and, and to the economic kind of environment. So concentration versus diversification. The diversification, it's boring. You don't, things don't happen. Um, you don't see those outsized returns with a diversified portfolio. But what you do see is a steady grow, growth or steady fallback. You don't see overnight increases, spikes and overnight falls. And uh, it just, the, the reason why it's important is because a lot of the time, and this is number six, your emotions are the biggest, you know, I suppose, enemy to, if you've got a highly concentrated portfolio, your the emotional roller coaster you're going to be on is massive. You will be on a situation where you're up 25% one day, you're down 30% the next day, you're up again. And you saw how that played out in the uh, crypto market. You had people there and they were up 500,000 in, in the space of a year, something like that, buying themselves cars and you know watches and going out and partying and stuff. And then all of a sudden it shifts gears and suddenly they're down 495,000 and they've got nothing to show for being up 500,000. That is, if they had diversification, they wouldn't have seen the massive increases obviously, but they wouldn't have seen those massive falls either. And uh, so it's just your emotions there. While you're going through those massive falls, you'll see, your mar you'll see the market fall overnight very, very rapidly and you suddenly panic and you decide, I want to get out. You get out and then all of a sudden the market bounces back in and you're like, oh, geez, I've missed out on that. And you jump back in. It's, it's just emotions. That volatility is very, very difficult to handle emotionally unless you're a very experienced investor and you have zero kind of emotional response to it. Like Warren Buffett, as Warren Buffett said, you know, be greedy when everyone else is fearful. And then it's the opposite. When, the, when everyone else is fearful, that's when you're going in. Uh, and you're buying like crazy. Now, number six is just, and this is probably not helpful for anyone who's lost a significant chunk of their net worth or something, but it was never yours to begin with. And what I mean by that is that whenever you're, if you're checking your net worth on a piece of paper and you're saying, right, my assets are worth X, Y, Z, and my, my loans are worth this amount here and when I deduct one from the other I have this net figure and that might be you know a million five million ten million whatever it is I can remember back in the day I had this like really big figure that had grown really really rapidly and I was very proud of it and uh, the reality is though is, is that is just this moment in time it's a it's a number on a piece of paper that it captures a moment in time and for you to think that that is your net worth, that that is your money, makes it puts you in the mindset that that is yours and that you've actually lost something. And the smarter way to look at it is that this is just like a balance sheet. It goes up, it goes down. And just to be, I have to say, you have to be a bit of a grown-up here because a lot of people, they get sort of caught up in the emotions of this. And if the thing falls by, you know, 30% or whatever, everyone's depressed and stuff. The reality is, is that is the way it works in the market. It goes up, it goes down. Just over time is what you're talking about. It's time in the market rather than timing the market. And uh, that's just something to kind of try to kind of remember. 
always plan for a rainy day. Uh, never go all in. Now, a lot of people, this might be a little bit too late, but if you are looking at taking advantage of the uh, the market now as it sort of changes, you got to be careful. Don't go all in. Always leave a bit of a reserve there for the rainy day. And that can be another discipline uh, or something that can be hard to decide upon. But when you see a really good opportunity, you want to be able to take a, have a go at you know taking that. And if you've spent all your money on the previous deal and left nothing, then you're going to have to watch those opportunities go by. So if you can, it's always good to hold back a little bit of cash. And also that buffer that you have, if you have so many, if you just got enough cash to kind of like go, you know, weather the ups and downs, that gives you a great mindset as well. And so just keep some money back, keep some cash back, even if it's as it has been losing interest. Um, people were actually paying interest to keep their money in the bank, but it's better to be paying that and now have a cash pile than to be somebody who invested everything at the top of the market when it was in a bubble because you didn't want to lose a few euro or a few pounds in negative interest. And now all of a sudden the market is falling and all of your cash is, is spent on the property assets that are falling. And then finally, and this is number eight, sort of you got to take ownership here. If you are in a difficult situation, if this you know, crisis that seems to be playing out, if this takes place, take ownership. Don't bury your head in the sand, in the sand and don't start to blame everyone else for your difficulties. The, the person who got yourself into this trouble is you. And it might be painful to say that, but this is actually something that I had to do myself is that it is not other people's fault, okay? The fact that Vladimir Putin invaded you know, Ukraine and it's caused prices to shoot up and everything like that and that we had a pandemic and all that, it doesn't matter it, who or where it came from. You're in this situation. Only you can get yourself out of this situation. And until you take ownership, you're not going to be able to sort of mentally, you're going to keep on blaming everyone else and you're going to be in, a, in the wrong state of mind to actually do all of this. So again, that is in a full article that I wrote last week and you can find it in my uh, in my website. I've also started a LinkedIn newsletter. Now, if you're not aware of it, I think I call it Real Estate Weekly Real Estate News. That's the name. It's it's a it's a newsletter in LinkedIn that you can find. Now, before I go, finally, just want to remind you two live events announced today. The live stream Q&A Wednesday at one o'clock. That's going to be live in YouTube and live in TikTok. You can actually tune in, ask questions, do whatever you want in there. And then also Saturday the 8th, the in-person bootcamp. Details will be down below. Guys, I hope you found this one useful. I'll speak to you again next week. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Behind the Facade. If you enjoyed that episode or if you found it useful in any way, please take a moment to leave a, a review over on iTunes if you're listening in on the podcast. If you're listening or you're watching in on the YouTube channel, then maybe you can leave us a like. And uh, if you can't do any of those things, maybe just share the episode out with somebody you think would find it useful. If you have any questions or topics you'd like me to cover, uh, send me a message through the Facebook community is probably the best one to go for. That is called Behind the Facade Community. Alternatively, you'll find me on social media. My handle is Gavin J. 
Gallagher. And uh, as you would expect, I have a website that has the same name, gavinjgallagher.com. If you go in there, you can join the email list, you can add yourself in there, and you can find out what's going on on the various projects that I am working on. All right, guys, hope you enjoyed this one. Speak to you again next week. Thank you.